What's up, guys? This is Taking the Field with Stevie Mack, and on this episode, I'm joined once again by my buddy, Phil Rothermick, and we're here to break down everything that's going on in the Premier Lacrosse League, excuse me, um, with everything going on with the expansion draft, entry draft, collegiate draft, all the player movement that was announced yesterday will be starting, we believe, next week, February 9th. So, Phil, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, man, thanks so much for having me. Always enjoy getting to talk some lax with you. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun episode. I know that. Yeah, lots to get to with this one as we go throughout the next two months or so with all these drafts going on, as I mentioned. We're also going to get to some of your guys' comments that you gave to me on Twitter yesterday. Towards the end of the episode, Phil and I will give you our thoughts on what you guys had to say about all of this that's going to be going down over the next two months or so. So we're going to start with the expansion draft, which will take place Thursday, March 11th, the league announced. It'll be 18 players picked. A maximum of three players per each team can be selected in that case, and the existing teams will put together their protected lists of 13 field players and one goalie. Now, Phil, the interesting thing I saw about this was that the teams must protect the players that they selected in last year's collegiate draft. So... Just kind of give me your thoughts on this year's expansion draft, some of the things that you might have taken away from what I just rattled off here, and also give me the teams that you might think have a chance at having the most players selected in that expansion draft next month. Well, if I'm not mistaken, in the last expansion draft, I think it was the Whipsnakes that had the most people taken, um, and that makes sense. The Whipsnakes are stacked, right? Yeah. And that makes me wonder what they're going to do this coming up expansion draft. You have to save Nardella. You have to save Burnmore. You've gotten few guys on defense that you seemingly have to keep. you got Rambo. you got uh, Zed, uh, Zedzilla. you got, you know, I mean, they are absolutely stacked. But they had this problem before. They lost uh, Connor Kelly, if I'm not mistaken, and they had Drenner that they lost too, which were two that people couldn't believe were gone. Um, and I think once again, they're going to have to leave a couple big dogs out there in the open because they're just, they're loaded. <laughs> they're, they're loaded, right? Um, yeah. Of course, one of my favorite parts of the expansion draft is kind of breaking down every team that I, who I think they'll keep, but uh, ultimately seeing where I'm wrong because somebody will leave some big dogs out. Um, and, you know, the thing that's interesting with what I think here is that you have the expansion draft and then you have the entry draft, right? And if you're the Cannons and you have the first pick of the entry draft, you can kind of play off that, right? If you know on that first pick we're going to take Lyle, okay, well now we have a stud attackman. So how many attackmen do we have to take to really fill that area and how many can we just focus on on the other side of the ball, right? So I think it's going to be – it's really interesting. And last year's draft was stocked. I mean it really was. It's going to be tough by this year. And then who knows, <laughs> because of the whole COVID thing, it, it really is uh, has forced this year to be even bigger and even better. So I think no team is going to be too disappointed by any measure that they have to keep someone. I think most of them would all want to keep their guy in general, right? So anyhow, lot to look forward to, my brother. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know you mentioned the Whip Snakes having 
had the most players selected in the expansion draft last year and kind of wondering how they might survive it this year. I think that'll be an interesting thing to watch is we all know how they were able to retool after last year's expansion, but I feel like it's going to be twice as hard to do so after this one, even with everything that we know about this entry draft and the players that can be had there or even in this collegiate draft. And I believe the Whipsnakes have four or five picks um, if I'm remembering, in that collegiate draft. So they will have the opportunity to retool through those drafts. But, man, just doing it that second time around, I think, is going to be a lot harder. But, again, it helps to have a guy like Jim Stagnita spearheading that that effort to retool if that is needed. And one team I think that would be interesting to watch for in that expansion draft as far as who gets picked from where would be the Chrome because of the job that Tim Sudan did with that roster last spring and last summer, reshaping it the way he wanted to. And it, it to me, it would be a shame to see some of those guys go. It would, I think it would be a lot of fun to see how they progressed in year two under Sudan. But that to me is a team to watch out for in that expansion draft and who gets pulled, if anybody from that Chrome team. And now we really move ahead to the entry draft, which you already touched on a little bit there with Lyle Thompson, probably going number one to the Cannons. It's pretty much all but guaranteed, I'd say, at this point. But that'll be two weeks following the expansion draft on March 25th. It'll be three rounds. The Cannons do have that number one overall pick, but they also have the number one pick in each of the other two rounds as well, leading off the second and third rounds. And the draft order for that is going to be, outside of the Cannons pick, is going to be determined by a non-weighted lottery pick. Somehow they're going to come up with that. I believe they said that's going to be on March 1st will be announced. And then the expansion waiver wire will open up the following day on the 26th through March 28th to sort of backfill that Cannons roster with anything else that they might need, kind of plugging guys into certain places and things like that. So just outside of Lyle Thompson going number one more than likely, who else do you want to see or could you realistically see being part of this Cannons team in year one through the uh, entry draft? You know, it's so tough for me to get to even say, you know, because we have that expansion draft. And right now, without knowing just exactly who is going to be pushed in, you know, that first pick is obviously a lock. You know, you know that. Yeah. But then after that, it's kind of fair game. You know, each team is now going to have to replace certain parts of their team that they might have lost in that expansion draft. So it, it's a little bit tough to say because I think it's going to be such a big shuffle. Um, we're going to see all of a sudden one team not needing any real defensemen, all of a sudden they have to put one in the expansion draft, it gets taken, now all of a sudden they're looking for a stud to try to put that back in there, and it's going to just be going like crazy. I think we're going to see a ton of movement in this in, in this side of, uh, well, in this season. This season of like the drafts and everything like that, excuse me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in the past, we haven't seen a whole lot of trades in the league, which I think is partly due to not so many teams. Um, but I could see some of that happen happening too. You know, I think the PLL has got a lot of jerseys. They're going to have to put some new names on because <laughs> these things are going to be going all over, and it's just going to be a thrill. I, I really can't wait. I know I've kind of rambled on from the question, but I just had to get some of that out there. 
No, yeah, and, and you're totally fine. I just, I figured I'd throw that one out there, kind of let you pick your brain about it a little bit. But really, I think that's more of a question, honestly, that we'll probably have to circle back to after that expansion draft, like you mentioned, because now we'll have more of a clear picture of what the cannons are looking for, what positions they still might need following that expansion draft. So that's definitely something that in about a month and a half or so from now, we'll definitely have to circle back on that one once we know more. But now we come to the collegiate draft, and that's probably going to be the biggest one of this spring, given how how deep that draft is going to be. And we've been talking about it now for almost a year, I would say, even before the, the 2020 collegiate draft even. I mean, we were all almost overlooking that draft and looking to 2021. Um, but really just breaking a little bit of that down, the Atlas, as we now know, hold the number one pick in that draft. The Chaos actually have six picks. I thought it was seven, but then we had a clarification on how the picks were traded and things like that yesterday. But they do have six picks in this upcoming draft in a few months, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. But that was due in large parts of the work that Andy Towers did last spring, getting those future picks that got pushed to 2021. But going back to the thing about the, the picks being traded and how that all worked out, it's interesting to notice that the Atlas have that number 17 overall pick, that first one in the third round, because that's the pick that was part of the deal that got them Romar Dennis last spring. And then the the Chrome actually turned around and traded that pick to get Matt Gaudet. Well, now that pick goes back to the Atlas and all the picks in that round that were swapped between the Atlas and the Chaos and the Chrome and whoever else, all as as far as I've understood it, all got returned to the the original owners of those picks, I guess, in order to simplify the draft a little bit more for everybody. But I will say that I, I, and I teased this on Twitter yesterday, and I want to throw this out here so I can get your thoughts on it as well. I have a trade proposal between the Atlas and the Chaos that I actually think would be one of the bigger offseason moves that we could potentially see, and I want to get your thoughts, as I said, on it. So, as I mentioned, the Atlas have the number one overall pick, and the Chaos in this deal would get the number one overall pick, and the Atlas in return would get the 15th overall, which is the Chaos's uh, lower of the two second round picks that they have. They'd get number 20, which is the higher of the two thirds that they have. And then a third round pick in 2022, if you're able to follow that. So, <laughs> the, so my explanation for this is that why it works is that the Atlas acquire a lot more picks in this, as we said, absolutely loaded collegiate draft this year, and they're able to really move forward in progressing through this rebuild that Ben Rubior is now being tasked with in, in year two with the Atlas, and he can make a big step forward in that rebuild heading into 2021 and into 22 as well, getting that future third rounder but with the chaos i really like this move because jeff teat is probably going to be in the top one or two maybe top three at the very worst in this draft and he's a guy that andy towers sort of took a flyer on last spring in that second round of the shortened collegiate draft and said hey he's probably not going to come out but in the case that he does we're going to take a shot at it. Obviously, he didn't, but now they have the ability to trade into that number one pick. 
they get Jeff Teat and they get to put him in that offense with other box guys like they've had last season, which is what they really formed that offense around was that box group of guys like Curtis Dixon, Josh Byrne, um, Dane Smith, another one. So they really get to add to that really good offense and be able to compete for a championship in 2021 and possibly even beyond into into the next couple of years really and the best part about it is they don't really give up too much draft capital in order to do it with as many picks as they have so with all that being said i know that was probably a lot to digest all at once but just kind of give me your initial reaction to that trade idea yeah um you know, the first thing, though, that, that comes to mind is, of course, Michael Sowers, right? Now, Atlas has Ryan Brown, who's an absolute stud. Eric Law is a stud. And Ron Pinnell, who is a stud, but if we're going to call, you know, call it what it is, Pinnell probably only has, you know, a couple, a few more years. I mean, he's not the Pinnell of yesteryear, right? So the only question for me is, do you just keep that first pick and you take him and you look you know, kind of just move Pinnell and you, you go with the young buck. Um, if not, if not, I do think the beauty of having that first pick is that you can trade it away and get more picks because this draft is so stacked that you can still get some big-time players further back, right? Um, so it's a it's a little tricky I think that becomes the ultimate question for them is do we want to use this first pick and just take it and go for it because we're you know he's such an unreal player yeah if not if that's not the guy that you believe in because you believe in your attack line already as it is then I say definitely trade with someone get more picks because even if you have a pick in the second and third round Maybe other years in second or third round, it's kind of like, you know, he's pretty good. We don't know how he'll do in the league, but we're going to give him a shot and all that. This year, it almost seems like you could just close your eyes for every single draft pick and get a good player every single one. <laughs> so I, I, that's all it comes down to, to, to for me is, is uh, you know, is that first pick, is that worth it enough, you know, is that yeah. really worth it enough instead of having m- many more other players? Like you said, especially in a time that it's very, very obvious they need to rebuild. You know, they've got, they have a ton of, pay- a ton of players, excuse me, <laughs> but something's got to change, man. Yeah. You know, if you're putting in the same thing every time and there is no outcome that you want, ultimately you're going to have to move some people, you're going to have to bring in some people, and you're going to probably have to cut some people or what have you. So, I think what you're saying makes total sense. I think it's really, really interesting. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see if it really does happen because it's easy to sit here and say that it should and why it should and why it makes sense. But the ultimate question is, will it happen? And I know you mentioned at one point the possibility of could they move Rob Pinnell, who I believe has one more year on his original contract from that entry draft last year. I believe 2021 is that second year of his contract. So he's a guy that could potentially get moved and a team might take him, take him on hoping, okay, he's probably got, you know, two, three more years, maybe, maybe we can do something with him in that time frame. He is a guy that I have in the last 24 hours or so played around with the idea of what could they realistically get for a guy like Rob Pinnell. And that's probably something I'll touch on at a later episode. Once I 
dive a little bit deeper into my brain about that one um, and see what I can come up with. But before we wrap up here, as I mentioned, I want to get to some of your guys' comments and what you had to say about all this upcoming draft craziness that we're about to endure. So I want to get to some of your guys' comments. Phil and I will also give our thoughts on what you had to say. So starting off with Trey on Twitter says, Don't know if this is a hot or cold take, but Redwoods need to draft another game-usable goalie. Maybe trade for Ward, referring to Dylan Ward. Uh, don't know what kind of capital they, meaning the Redwoods, have. So Phil, just off the top, give me your uh, thoughts on this one. Well, I think Dylan Ward is an <laughs> underrated goalie. You know, I think he's a great goalie. He's somehow he's kind of been shelved. Well, I mean, he's behind Blaze, who's the goalie of the year two years in a row. Right. So that's what it is. But I think, you know, maybe it's not a bad idea for the Redwoods to have another goalie. However, I still think Timmy Troutner, a.k.a. Timmy Trouts, is still going to be your number one guy. For um, sure. Having said that, the beauty of it could be creating that competition within the team. Uh, I know I've coached teams before where we have two goalies every single game. They're kind of competing for that starting spot. And then we would see the best out of those goalies every single game. So maybe you kind of go that route. As it creates that competition. But right now, I do think Timmy Trouts is number one. And I think having a solid backup is not a bad idea. And Dylan Ward is a solid backup. Yeah, for sure. He definitely is. And I do think that at some point sooner rather than later, he's going to have to get his shot to actually play a legitimate role on a team in the PLL, whether it's with the chaos at some point, whether he gets traded to a team like the Redwoods, or possibly he ends up with the Cannons somehow, some way, uh, here in the next year or two, if that's possible. But to, to Trey's point here about whether or not the Redwoods have the draft capital to do something like this, they do have two picks in the fourth round and seeing as how Ward hasn't really gotten a shot yet in the PLL he's still somewhat of an unknown at this at this level I guess you could say so I don't imagine that it would take a whole lot to get him away from the chaos in this case so maybe they could give one of their fourth rounders for him and and like you said put them in competition with Troutner and and see what they can come up with even if he's the kind of guy that you you start Troutner two games then give Ward one game then Troutner two and then one and kind of just go back and forth like that so that you don't get so much wear and tear on a guy like Tim Troutner late in the season so I guess that's another thing that we'll have to watch out for as all this player movement and stuff happens over the next few months or so but thanks to Trey for that comment coach Shrek comes in with the next comment says reaction yeah our guy uh, he says, reaction, the cannons from just expansion and collegiate draft alone will be stacked. Hot takes, one, Ben Rubior becomes coach of the year. Two, Tom Kelly gets traded to the Redwoods. Three, Archers finish dead last in the PLL, and his hope for the year is a successful and healthy PLL season with fans. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of takes right there. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ben Rubior, I think it's... It's there for the taking to be coach of the year. You know, to become coach of the year, what's you know what's the makeup of that? It's having a team that's really not that great, getting it to work, getting players in there, taking players out, and finding that formula so it clicks, right? Yeah. And he has he has that ability this year. He's got a stacked draft coming up. He's got a team that's really underperforming for the 
for how good the players are, they are underperforming. So, I mean, the pieces are there. You know, like the uh, Chrome last year, now granted they had just gotten that new coach, but, you know, they had a team that wasn't doing good, moved some pieces. I mean, Joel White wasn't there. That's Team USA right there. Yet they still performed to such a high level, and that's what created that coach of the year for him. Um, what I don't know. What was the next one? <laughs> uh, Tommy Kelly gets traded to the Redwoods. So last comment we had um, Dylan Ward getting traded to the Redwoods, possibly now with Coach Shrek. He's looking more face-off, and this is actually an interesting one from Shrek looking at the face-off position because the Redwoods did put two different draft picks into the face-off position last year after Greg Renlian retired and you definitely saw a drop-off from them in that position even though late in the championship series it did look like Peyton Smith started to figure some things out a little bit but they definitely should be looking for a little more consistency out of that position here in 2021. Yeah you know and you never know how a guy's going to look coming off their first season, going through a whole off season, and being able to jump back in to you know their sophomore year. Um, but having said that, it would really help if they could get a guy that's uh, more of a veteran type, more of a proven type. You know, I I think faceoff is such a crucial position as we all do. It creates possessions. Possessions mean shots. Shots mean goals. Goals mean wins. So they got to get someone in there that can be a little bit more, uh, I guess automatic is the word, you know, someone that you can rely on just a little bit more. So I don't know if that will happen, but I think it would be a very big part for the Redwoods to carry that success into the next year. And then I don't know if you wanted to touch on this one at all, but his final hot take here was the Archers finishing dead last in the PLL. I'd really, I might have to go back to him after we're done recording this episode. I really want to get his explanation for this one, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. But if you want to go ahead and, and give that one a shot, by all means. You know, I love Shrek. Shrek's my buddy. We text on occasion. I love him to death. I don't know what he's thinking here. I mean, uh, you know, the chaos last year, uh, and, uh, up until the tournament, they had not won a game. Nobody would have predicted that. So I, I, I don't want to say there's 100% no chance of it because, you know, everything's possible. But when you have Holman, Manny, and Ament, and Schreiber all right there. Now, granted, Holman had a little bit of an offseason last year. Uh, you know, I'll give it that. But when you have, even if he's not there to have Will Manny, Ament, and Shriver, they're going to get goals in the back of the net. I would assume they get enough in the back of the net to stay out of that bottom spot. But you never know, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So like I said, I'll, I'll definitely have to get back to him on that one and kind of pick his brain there. But we do have a couple more here as we are just about ready to wrap this thing up. Jordan Johnson says, hot take but not really one. The Atlas either need to rebuild around Ryan Brown, a.k.a. move other parts or trade him. He needs to get to, he needs to be getting excuse me, consistent shots. And this is something you mentioned earlier. You mentioned him and Rob Pinnell. One or the other probably has to go. Something's got to give with this Atlas offense. Um, just yeah. real quick, give me your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Brown, we all know, has arguably the best shot in the world. I think Mako keeps getting up there, but I think Ryan Brown is still sitting on the throne. The thing is, Ryan Brown is not a big dodger, right? He is going to be more of a hands-free time and room. 
What does that mean? That means somebody else has got to get the defense uh, pulled away from them. They've got to initiate a slide and bump that ball to Ryan Brown so he can get that shot. Well, they did that a lot on Team USA, um, being Pinnell and Ryan Brown. Pinnell would pull someone, Ryan Brown would have that shot. But we're not seeing that from Pinnell recently. Um, so I do think it's a good idea if they can figure out a way. I mean, he's worth some some stuff. If you want to trade him, he's worth some stuff. Yeah. Or you have to get somebody that's going to pull the defense away. So that way Ryan, they can get that pass. Ryan has his hands free, and then he shoots wherever he wants. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, really quick, just to give my thoughts on this one, you know, I think outside of that number one pick, Ryan Brown's probably the most tradable piece that this Atlas team has, I think, player-wise, so non-draft pick-wise, he's probably the biggest trade piece that they have on this team, and I think offensively, and I did an entire episode about this probably four months ago now, I think it was, about this Atlas offense, and having a guy like Joel Tinney there Putting him back on offense, I think, would be a big help. They had him playing almost exclusively as a D-mid during that championship series, and you saw the impact that his absence had on that offense being to dodge from up top and being able to feed some of these guys like Ryan Brown, who himself, as you said, is not a dodger, and being able to set them up with those open looks. So I definitely think that's something they need to explore here in 2021 is getting Joel Tinney back on the offensive side, getting the ball back in his stick, and letting him just go out there and do what he does best. But this final comment, pretty much in my opinion, kind of encapsulates everything that we've talked about here in this episode. So that's why I put this one last. But this one's from Brian. He says, thoughts? One, that Lyle Cannon's jersey is going to hit different. Number two, with the Atlas picking first, do they draft a midi or trade it to someone wanting Sowers or Teat? Three, are we calling this free agency now? And four, what's the off-season trade that gets us buzzing? So like I said, this one really, really kind of brings all of what we just spent the last couple minutes talking about, but I'll let you wrap this one up for us. Yeah, this this question could be a whole episode in and of itself, right? <laughs> uh, was the first one about Atlas uh, taking a midi or the... The first was that the first one was about uh, Lyle in a Cannons jersey. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's gonna hit different, man. It's gonna be wild. You know, a lot of people love Lyle, and of course they do. The guy is is one of those pieces that kind of helps revolutionize a little bit how the sport's played. I think you have Gary Gate. Um, in my opinion, you might have Casey, and then you have Mikey, and then you have Lyle, and it kind of goes different guys that the young generation sees. And all of a sudden, they want to be, right? Um, Everyone has their own opinion about that. Maybe Kyle Harrison is in there. But the point is, he's one of them, right? And uh, he's finally going to be in the PLL. So it's going to be weird to see him not just in a Cannons jersey, but going up against guys like Tucker Durkin, right? Or Apple. And we're finally going to see those matchups that we've all kind of uh, fantasized about of like, who would be the attackman and the defenseman you'd want to see? And it, we're going to see it. <laughs> so I think I, I can't, I'm stoked. So yeah, it's going to look different, but so many good ways. <laughs> yeah. And then if you wanted to touch on those other couple points he made, the next one was the Atlas. What are they going to do with that pick? Do they use it? Do they trade it? What are they going to do there? Which we already yeah. pretty much touched on. Yeah. You know, I think I, it's like I said, with Michael Sowers, he's, is he so good? 
that you just take him and then figure him out in the roster. Like a, one of those talents you just can't pass up. Um, but that aside, they definitely can use some midfielders. I mean, Paul Rabel, he's kind of maybe in the same area as uh, Pinellas, you know, kind of getting towards the end of the season. Yeah. Paul had a little bit of a rough tournament there with Atlas last year. He wasn't at all the Paul that we've kind of grown used to seeing. So they can use some help at midfield. Um, I don't know if – it's like if you're going to take somebody at one, number one, is that person worth three picks to you? Because if you're going to get Sowers, that means Sowers is worth three picks, that you would take three picks, combine them, and spend it all on him. Is there a midfield that you, if you had those three picks, would it be good with using to spend on that one person? Because that's probably what you're going to get, and maybe a player, what have you, you can go about that, but something big for that one pick. So they are really in the driver's seat on that one. You know, They really have a lot of control. They can give a shout-out, hey, you know, Redwoods, we still got this one number one pick, baby. What are you thinking? You know, they are really got some some options there. Yeah. And then the final thing I'll just say before we wrap this whole episode up is in regards to that Atlas number one pick, I failed to to clarify, I guess, earlier in the episode when I gave you my trade prediction for that number one pick that in that trade, the Atlas would also swap picks in the first round with the Chaos. So the Chaos would get one and the Atlas would move back to six as well. So for anybody earlier thinking, well, does that mean they're not picking till the second round now? No, I forgot to specify they get that sixth pick as well as part of that deal. So they would still have a really solid pick there in that first round. And as we said, the draft is so deep that you could go from one to 32 or whatever it is, and you're going to get a stud player that'll probably be around the league for a long, long time. But that, guys, will do it for this episode of Taking the Field with Stevie Mack. Make sure to like, comment, and share on this post. We covered a ton of stuff about player movement this offseason for the PLL. Phil, as always, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And we will talk to you guys later.